don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Uh... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is Anthropocene's episode 34, and today we are doing a double feature of men going out into the wilderness and discovering their true selves. Uh, we have... From 1972, Deliverance, directed by John Borman, starring Burt Reynolds and John Voight and Ned Beatty, and it was nominated for Best Picture and is considered a... Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox, considered to be like one of the best thousand films ever, all that sort of stuff. And then we have, uh, from 2004, Without a Paddle, directed by Stephen Brill, starring uh, Seth Green and Dax Shepard and Matthew Lillard. <laughs> So, Similarly star-studded. Oh, yeah. Very, very similar. So we both kind of agreed upon rewatching Without a Paddle because we'd both seen it like a decade ago or more. I, I guess yeah. like 2004 is when we would have seen it. Uh, and you watched it a couple days before I did, and you just sent me a text that said, this is a shit show. <laughs> it's, uh, I remember really liking it when I was a kid. You know, early teens, I guess I was. Yeah. Uh, or maybe a little bit, maybe like high school, late high school. I don't know. Um, and I have fond memories of it. I had fond memories of the soundtrack with, uh, Ooh La La by the faces yeah, and no rain featured. by blind melon. And, um, and then you I see was, how those songs are used now and you're like, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the, my main criticism of Without a Paddle is that it is just not funny at all. Yeah, it's it's very, we were talking about this beforehand, it's pretty poorly written. It's written in a lot of cliches, and a lot of the lines or a lot of the punchlines are just sort of paint by numbers. Like, that's exactly the joke you would put there if someone gave you 10 minutes to write a comedy scene, and you just fell back on, on what that's, you've seen. I, I, Jensi and I watched this, and I said, if you gave me... 48 hours and this scenario three men you know their best friend dies and they go to the woods to honor him i said i guarantee you i could write a funnier movie than this in 48 hours i'm not saying it would be a great movie or a super funny movie but it would be funnier than without a paddle like it's yeah. it, uh, the the worst part are the is the the villains Ethan Suple and uh, whatever the other guy's name is. Yeah. I mean, it's just poor acting, poor delivery. Um, I, 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 I wish I knew what I thought was funny when I was younger. Yeah, in the big- I wish that I knew now what I knew <laughs> then or whatever. What you didn't know. That, yeah. So yeah. I, and it, it, it kind of sucks that. Well, I mean, a lot of about it sucks, but the fact that the big evil scheme that the bad guys are up to is that they're growing weed. Yes. And that's like the yeah, big bad thing. It's so thing. hypocritical. It's so hypocritical because then they, they set the weed, weed field on fire and they, you know, they get high and they're just laughing, having a good time. And then the doctor, you know, tells, uh, uh, I guess Tom is his name, Dak Shepard, that he'll write him a prescription for it. And so you see how benign it is right but that so why is this the the crime that we're supposed to associate with the evil doers you know the bad guys yeah uh, it's ri- ridiculous yeah it's it's pretty 
I don't know, like that whole scene where they're running through the weed field and like the dog gets high and that's like a big punchline is that, ooh, the dog's high. And, and one of the bad guys calls the dog a weed freak. It's just like, what the fuck is, it's like some reefer madness shit. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just that whole plot line of, oh, they found our weed field and now we have to murder them. <laughs> It's like, what the fuck? And the thing is, like, they're in league with the sheriff. So if they went to the police, couldn't the sheriff just be like, oh, we'll look into it and then just not do anything? It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's very, it's, very. Uh, you, you found the one plot hole in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I solved it. Um, although I will say, uh, <laughs> against my better judgment, I guess, I guess I, I kind of like the D.B. Cooper storyline. I think that's kind of. If this movie had just been about that and they had removed like the friend dying as the motivation and all that other shit and it was just and like, they hired hired different actors and a different director <laughs> yeah, a different screenwriter it would have been awesome. If this was a completely yeah, if, different movie. Yeah, if this was a Coen Brothers movie and about the you search know, for it starred like Cooper's Javier goal. Bardem or something, yeah, it'd be it'd be great. Yeah. But that that whole story only complaint about without a paddle is that it's not directed <laughs> by the Coen brothers and it's not starring a major uh, actor and the script is not different and better. Yeah. It's not Matt Damon and Joaquin Phoenix going <laughs> looking for uh, DB Cooper's gold. I, I, I want to see that movie. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole DB Cooper, like your friends and your time is the real treasure sort of thing. Like that's fine. Like it, it's really kind of hack, but it's, it's okay for like a Hollywood comedy that you would go see on a friday night if you're in middle school that kind of thing right that's i was writing notes about without a paddle and like in the middle of one i just stopped and was like this feels so absurd to like critique this film uh i i started to write like you know this movie suffers from a a, a stark dichotomy between like culture and nature i was like Okay, this is absurd because you have to ask you have to ask like what is this movie trying to do? And because it's this sort of you know, very visible Hollywood comedy, like not only is it not trying to problematize anything in your life, it's trying to do the exact opposite. It's trying to make you feel good about your shit life. And that's why the whole plot of Matthew Lillard's character is like, Oh, my life, my corporate life sucks. And then, uh, you know, he goes and has this, uh, crazy time in the woods and he realizes it doesn't suck that bad. And, and so it's almost like it's, if you think about it that way, it's like pessimistic in the suggestion that, you know, the shittiness of your corporate life is nothing compared to the shittiness of a life outside the <laughs> comforts afforded by a corporate life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like I didn't know what I had. Right. Uh, yeah. That in, in all of the trouble that they run into in the, the, the woods quote unquote is man-made like it's the pot the dealers. It's their fault. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. nature is not antagonistic. Like even when there's the really just ridiculous like slapstick scene with the bear and Seth Green, it's like the bear is not being aggressive. It's like trying to mother Seth Green in this like stupid 
you know, slapsticky sort of like fairly brothers sort of way. Right. Um, but, so, and you and then the other danger that they encounter is like the, you know, the two bad guys and like cutting down a tree. Um, grenade. Fishing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. All the, most of the, the danger is human danger. Yep. But they, they just associate it with, oh, we're also in the woods, and that that's the real danger. That's what's going to kill us, not the guys with the machine guns and the four-wheelers chasing us. Yeah, but there, I mean, there's this, the, the most obvious trope in Without a Paddle is the, you know, nature as rejuvenation for culture. Yeah. You, you know, you got to take a, a vacation to... uh to sort of siphon the vitality of the natural to, to get you back, you know, get you back in action to rejuvenate you, um, which is just weird. Um, and, and again, like I was saying, sort of ultimately serves to, um, kind of ratify their normal life. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so the changes they, that do come out of this, are just like changes that make them happier and more effective in in civilization in the sort of worlds that they were inhabiting. So Matthew Lillard gets married and I guess goes back to his job, or he probably makes a lot of money like selling people subprime home loans and shit like that. Right, and, then and now Matthew- he has less time to surf. That that's what they. It, unless <laughs> I missed it, it's like he waxes poetic about you know surfing, and then the big lesson he learns is he needs to get married. And like accept all this responsibility uh, and do the things that he views in the beginning as keeping him from doing what he likes to do. Yeah, which is like I have to use my time more effectively. Therefore, I'm going to double down on all the things that I hated before. But is it but is it like, oh, because he has this dangerous like near death experience on the river? Is that why like maybe he doesn't does he not want to surf anymore because he's afraid or something? Uh, it's like it's like it's the like surfing thing movie. is very like it's introduced very quickly and then it just kind of falls away, never comes back. Well, well, he it, it comes back one time like it shows him surfing at the beginning and coming home. And then he sort of gives a speech about it in the middle of the movie about how much he loves to surf. Uh, but then it's never. It's it's not brought it it doesn't uh, factor into the third act, yeah. And then, but it's like this sort of anti. Uh, it's like the exact opposite of the the Nietzsche live dangerously. It's like this movie is just like be careful. <laughs> well, yeah, and then Dax Shepard's character Tom, who's been the kind of like stereotypical wild and crazy guy who like rides a motorcycle and has tat- he has a corvette tattoo which i guess is real like on his back is that the corpse of billy <laughs> the other that scene was actually kind of funny uh that bit was okay but then he, he becomes like a boy scout troop leader mm-hmm. uh, which is a weird choice and then seth green like moves to the woods with with the like stereotypical hippie lady i guess is the change no, I think it looks like she moves in with him and like they're in the, the old tree house, like in his backyard. Oh, see, I didn't even make that connection. I, I just, think that's what it is. I think okay. he's in the old tree house, that but I, I could sense. be wrong. I, I, I honestly, during the last like 30 minutes of this movie, I was reading a, an article on my phone about why Hollywood won't cast uh, 
Sean William Scott anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's if you're going to revisit some early 2000s nostalgia, that's probably the better way of doing it. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the film just kind of fizzles out. There's a lot of like just, I don't know, stupid kind of deus ex machina type stuff going on. Like Burt Reynolds shows up and then the sheriff shows up, but he's evil. And so then they have the grenade and then the tree falls. And it's just, it just sucks. <laughs> I don't like this it, movie. Um, but, but like you, you said earlier, it's, um, it's not funny no. and it's scripted and it, it feels, <clears throat> it seems like most comedies now, <clears throat> the the screenwriter's job i mean and there's some exceptions to this i'm thinking of like uh wes anderson is is a definite exception i think but most screenwriters their job is kind of to come up with a funny scenario you know yeah. like with like dramatic irony um and that sort of thing and but the actual like particular jokes are the result of like directors and actors collaborating and finding the funniest way to do something or the funniest like reference to make or something like that. This movie feels like they said exactly what was in the script. And this script was written by some sort of algorithm in 2004, <laughs> the 2004 uh, Hollywood comedy algorithm. Yeah. yeah. Cause what you're talking about is like, a, I think of the movie step brothers that like everybody's <laughs> seen. And, but most of it, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, was improv, sort of like off the cuff sort of stuff that just like created this weird sort of amalgamation of types of comedy that that worked really well. Um, and, you know, there's there's a loose kind of plot. There's definitely stuff happening that's sort of driving everything along. But the, the individual scenes seem pretty loose like you're saying they give you like it seems like they created like a skeleton and then they're like now go make it funnier like go right go put the polish on it um it's like we were saying about biodome except they it's just the actors weren't funny in that <laughs> yeah in that particular instance <laughs> that that's like when that goes when keeping it real goes wrong was, was <laughs> that um i will say that this movie i like i don't know is it better than biodome like that's not an important yes. question in any kind of way yes yes I think just because, like we were saying, Biodome had a just like rape scene played for laughs. That that alone sort of pushes it to the end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, and there were a few moments in Without a Paddle where, <clears throat> I mean, the uh, when he pulls up at the funeral on his Harley, and uh, you know, Dax Shepard's got a few decent lines. And there's no decent lines in Biodome. There's no. just nothing funny about that Zero. fucking movie. And then I still maintain, and I told you this before we started, the his harmonica joke of, oh, I bet you can play the shit out of that harmonica. <laughs> like that, that's just well-timed, and it's just like a classic kind of joke, kind of one-liner. Right. Um, but the, the, the reason that we paired it up with Deliverance, which is the far kind of better film in, in every kind of way, um, is because it has this same kind of sort of theme like you're talking about as going into nature for rejuvenation of civilization and also going to, uh, you know, create some sort of male bonding that for some reason can't happen within an urban setting and all, all these kinds <laughs> of things. And there's even 
um, in without a paddle, a direct reference to deliverance when they get out in the, in the like little Oregon town and Matthew Lillard's character, I can't say his name, Matthew Lillard's character, uh, says something like, Oh, um, uh, we're going to hear the banjo start playing soon or something like that. Somebody says, where are we? And he says, we're in bum fuck. You got a purdy mouth. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, definitely anytime deliverance was such a sort of formative, cinematic uh experience when it came to defining kind of rural kind of killer hillbilly types that you can't make a movie about a bunch of dudes going on a canoe trip without making a reference to it at some point i was yeah jency and i were talking about it's like that's the power of images and filmmaking is that you can't hear banjo music and not think about anal rape anymore like how I mean that sounds like I'm joking, but just like <laughs> no, think that's, about that. that. That's a thing <laughs> that exists. Um, so yeah, just to to make that sort of pair up, I think was was interesting because uh, the thing that in without a pedal that is emphasized at points and it ends up being kind of the final takeaway of the film is like your friends are important, keep your homies close, that sort of thing, and they have this kind of male bonding that is kind of evident in how they are going to like sacrifice themselves at the end or what for each other at the end and all that sort of shit. Um, and is also played for laughs, like when they're in the cave hugging for warmth. And of course it turns into like, Oh dude, you gay. Uh, like immediately with like Matthew Lillard's character, talking Seth Green's character into getting a boner, which is like, he's yeah. seducing him, which there's a lot of like weird, like homoerotic homosocial stuff going on there. But is, I think there's just like a a uh, direct gay joke at one point where it's like a somebody uses the phrase "I'm coming out." Yeah, I'm and Dak Shepard is like, "I think he's saying like, he's gay." Yeah, like, and that's the joke. Yeah, you know, <laughs> man, nine eleven changed everything. Um, so Phelps changed everything. So in Deliverance. You have so with the, without a pedal, the, the the impetus to go out into the woods is their friend dies, and they find this map, and they're like, "We'll go find DB Cooper's treasure," and uh, really find ourselves along the way, that that sort of thing. Whereas in Deliverance, uh, you get that sort of truncated introduction with the voiceover of the characters talking, and their sort of drive is like, "This river is going to be damned; it's going to not exist anymore, so we have to go and sort of experience it." before it's gone and it'll be a good chance for us to like be manly men out, out in the woods and all that sort of shit. And James Dickey who wrote the novel wrote the screenplay as well. And I've actually read the novel and all of the buildup to the trip in the novel is, is way more fleshed out and you get a better picture of like who these men are. And you know, it, it, the, the film does a good job of that as well, but that whole like voiceover part at the beginning condenses a lot of the novel uh, and I think it's it's fairly effective because you couldn't just have them, you know, bumbling around Atlanta, like having conversations. That's yeah, you know, I was uh, that surprises me that you've read that because I didn't even know it was a book until I had watched this, you know, saw it in the credits. Um, and uh, I I was interested in the book because one thought I had after I actually went back and listened to that voiceover again just a couple hours ago because it seemed significant to some things we need to talk about. Um, 
the thought I had is to what extent is, if any, is this movie or this story a reaction and rebuttal to sort of the the environmentalism of the of the late sixties and early seventies because it feels um, uh, just from listening to that uh, that uh, that opening voiceover it feels like the rest of the movie kind of is arguing against what they what they the other guys refer to you know they refer to Lewis's uh, assertion that you know damming this river is is akin to raping you know it's like raping the landscape and they say that's a radical position it's and then of course the whole the you know the most memorable scene is when uh ned Beatty's character is raped um and so it it just feels like a lot of the movie is uh, arguing against that sort of uh or, or maybe saying the language with which environmentalists talk about their issues is overblown and exaggerated. Well, I, the from the book and the film that you both in both of them you get this kind of view that is not outwardly environmentalist, and in fact, uh, Lewis, uh, Burt Reynolds's character, is basically kind of like a survivalist as we think about them now. Like, mm-hmm. if he existed today, he'd be like stockpiling his his bomb shelter and all that kind of stuff. Um. But in the film and in the book, he's sort of this like hyper masculine, like we have to be ready for when the machines fell and that sort of all that sort of survivalist shit. And so preserving the environment doesn't really play into it as much as trying to get outside of civilization and try to like be kind of hanging on the periphery. That way, when it all falls down, you're ready to just sort of like be like the end of uh, leave no trace and just like walk into the yeah. woods and become that guy. Um, because there is go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say they're, they're uh, cause when they, they talk about his uh, in the voiceover and they say, Oh, that's an extreme point of view. <clears throat> There's their counterpoints are the lake will provide, will provide a uh, recreation for people mm-hmm. that where he's like, Oh, my father-in-law's got a houseboat on whatever. And uh, it'll provide uh, electricity more electricity and you know Lucy's whole point is like oh yeah more electricity for Atlanta who cares and that it'll be beautiful that sort of thing so it's like mm-hmm. that all of their reason reasoning is really kind of flimsy but it, it kind of yeah, but it seems like the movie does not argue against those positions no it's it's kind of strange it's almost like if you follow Lewis's train of thought you end up where they are which is like one of them's dead one of them has a severely broken leg. One of them's been well, you know, feel, sexually assaulted. To me, it seems like the movie also also um, is a rebuttal to Lewis's sort of uh, survivalist uh, alpha male bullshit too. Like, I mean, he hen- ends up, you know, wounded, the, the worst injured of them all, well, except for uh, – Ronnie Cox, I guess, who dies, uh, you know, he's incapacitated. You see his bone hanging out of his leg. And so it seems like the movie also suggests that his, his whole thing is just kind of bravado. And to think that you can like that, that a man can sort of master 
nature is, you know, it, it is actually impossible and, and that it takes this radical, uh, intervention and these, you know, we can dam a river, uh, but an individual cannot really survive by himself in the woods. Uh, it, to me, it felt very, uh, conservative in a way, uh, very much, uh, very much, uh, as a sort of defender of progress. How so? Well, it, it seems like nature in this movie is really kind of human nature. It's like they have this sort of romantic idea or we're going to go, you know, retreat to the woods to be rejuvenated or whatever. And, uh, what they, what they encounter though is it's, it's almost like one, I found myself thinking about it, like, uh, the people they encounter, these like evil rednecks are kind of like primitive man. And, and they're sort of encountering, um, you know, humanity's past. And then it's like the, the damming of the river is like, um, contemporary modern man trying to erase that primitivity or primitiveness or whatever the word is. Um, and so, and so Lewis's perspective would just be kind of ridiculous in that, you know, he's, it's like he's trying to preserve or he has romantic notions about a, um, a way of life that's actually kind of barbaric. Um, and he, he feels like he has this power, but you see, he, he really has no power. He goes down the rat or down the rapids and, He's incapacitated. Uh, so I, I don't know. This is I, I saw this movie, you know, 15 years ago, and then I watched it the other day, and I I don't have it. I don't pretend to have it all figured out, but it that that is what it made me think of. It, it did not seem to me to problematize progress at all. Yeah, and it's kind of weird that, like you're saying, Lewis ends up being kind of the most incapable because he gets injured mm-hmm. um because earlier in the film there's a scene where after they go through like the first set of rapids and uh ned Beatty's character is like oh we beat it we beat it and he's like no you don't beat this river and he's always like making statements like that that are like you have to be on the lookout because nature you know you can't beat nature you have to like contend with it you have to play the game he keeps saying yeah um and it seems like all that ends up being kind of for show or like maybe he's got the wrong kind of understanding of, of nature. He thinks it's going to be this sort of like contest with nature, red and tooth and claw and really mm-hmm. like without a paddle, it ends up being human interaction is what causes all of the destruction. Um, Cause yeah, like the, the river capsizes their canoe, but only because they're in a hurry and they're trying to like get away from the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, shotgun hillbillies and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So this, it, it also, this movie has kind of historically gotten on some flack because of its portrayal of 
you know, the people, the uncivilized kind of northern Georgia hillbilly folk. Um, mm-hmm. And you're like you're saying, they're sort of presented as an earlier form of man <laughs> in, in a way. Yeah. And at, at Ned Beatty's character says uh, something about genetic deficiencies at one point. Um, yeah. And after they uh, play, after uh, Ronnie Cox and the kid play the, the sort of dueling banjo duet, um, he goes to shake his hand and he won't shake his hand. And again, Ned Beatty's character is like, give him a couple bucks. Like that'll, that'll, that'll fix it. Um, you know, universal language. And I don't know, it's just sort of, you see, you can see I could be construed as exploitative because the people are played off as kind of inherently evil in a way until Mm -hmm. the end. And then at the end, it's sort of inverted. And I think it's kind of effective because it's like, they're shocked that their cars are there. They're like, Oh, yeah. they, br- they actually yeah. brought the cars. It's like, yeah, you paid them and they did the job. Like, it, and then they have dinner with the family and you have the nice old lady telling the story about the giant cucumber and that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think there, there is a kind of feeling of, of it being exploitative, but then at the end, it definitely tries to invert that. And it's kind of doing that to make Ed keep sort of, second guessing himself about having killed the guy and whether or not it was the right guy and that, that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't know, it's played more toward creating inner turmoil within Ed than sort of changing the audience's view of these people, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, in that way, he also kind of, uh, kind of anthropomorphizes the nature a little bit because Ed's kind of identifying or sort of feels changed forever by this river. Right. And the river has gone forever. Kind of like, who he was before is gone forever and it's covered over with the flood of his life back home with his wife and his kid and his job and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just a weird kind of, uh, kind of metaphorical comparison sort of thing going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't, I, like you're saying, I don't have it figured out either. Um, I know that it's pretty, from what I can remember the novel, cause it's been a few years at this point, it's pretty faithful. Um, hmm. like, like every movie in the seventies and eighties, it, it is two hours long. Or I mean, every like drama, prestige drama, it it's two hours long, which I only mentioned because when I, I fired it up, I was like, I wonder how, how long this is. And it was like one hour, 59 minutes. And I was like, oh, the good old days when every movie was two hours long. Yeah. Uh, this is not a very sophisticated observation, but how about, when uh, John Voigt's character, what's his name, Ed? Yeah, uh, is he's climbed the uh, the rock where he thinks the the gunman is going to be the next morning, and the it's nighttime or it's becoming nighttime, and it looks like a child took a navy blue crayon and col- colored over the film to uh, to make it look like it's night. There's also. Do you, know what I'm ta- uh, do you remember this? Uh, yeah, sort of. But I wasn't really paying complete attention it's, to it. It's uh, it's like noticeable, uh, you know, uh, discontinuity in terms of the cinematography. It's just like distorted. Well, there, there's a scene in the river, one of the like action scenes, 
And at the bottom of the camera, it looks like there was like a hair or something on it. So there's like a noticeable <laughs> little thing at the bottom of the screen. And I was like, what the hell? Uh, so I, I noticed that there's like very few credits. Yeah. It's like, I think like 10 people like went to the woods and made this movie. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's 1972, right? So film technology is not, I feel like filming it on the river was like a big deal. Then people were yeah. like, oh my God, Probably. look at these shots they got. Um, yeah, I, I I read that uh, Burt Reynolds like legit broke his uh, tailbone going down a rapid. Mm. His, so I have to say they, his, they like, were doing the damn thing. Yeah, his uh, vest. Oh, so badass! Pretty pretty dope. Looks like it's made that, out of like foam rubber. Or something. It's like something Batman would wear <laughs> on a river. And uh, and that, that's taken with from those the sideburns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's uh taken from the novel where it, it's there's a lot of description put into the like performance top that he's wearing because he like buys all this fancy gear and also in the book and it, it sort of carries over into the the film i think there's a sort of like it, like homoerotic or at least like homosocial thing going on between ed and lewis where there's this kind of connection where like ed admires lewis um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, is sort of like unsure about how he feels about it because Lewis is so kind of macho and he would never hesitate when shooting the deer. He would just kill it. And he's like disgusted when Ed fucks up and like misses the deer, like chickens out at the last second. Yeah. Um, so there's a weird, just the scene where they're sitting in the boat and Lewis is like shooting the fish with his bow and Ed's just kind of like laying back drinking a beer. And he's like, why do you come on these trips with me? And then yeah. he like gives him that line about like, well, I like my life back home and all this. And you could see that just as easily like turning and being like, why do you come on these trips with me? And Ed like having this weird sort of sexual realization of like, oh, I kind of want to do it with Lewis. <laughs> um, and that would that would be, you know, a, a deeply interesting movie, I think. Um but yeah, there's yeah, a sort of, sort of, sort of admiration. broke back mountain sort of sort of deal. Yeah, um, it's like a assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I don't. I haven't seen all of that. But there's a scene where he's like in the bathtub, like Jesse James in the bathtub, and and Robert Ford's kind of like looking in, and he's like, "Do you want to be me or do you want to be with me?" that sort of thing it's that same sort of dynamic i feel like with with ed and lewis i uh i was also reminded of a raymond carver story i don't know if you'll remember this one where you know uh, a bunch of guys go on a fishing trip or a camping trip and they find a corpse in the in a river do you remember this one I, that it's sounds in, familiar. it's depicted in uh in shortcuts i know it's one of the one of the uh stories altman uses to you know mash together uh, anyway just just the sort of the issues involved in like 40 something male you know homosocial nature bonding is uh I guess it's, it seems like a thing that maybe used to happen more. You don't, I, I can't think of like an example of like a, a cultural, like a pop culture present, you know, representation of that in the last like five or six years. Yeah. It, it's kind of seems like it's dropped off. Now the big thing is like 
going into nature alone, sort of into the wild or wild. Was that the name of the movie? With Reese, uh, Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Now it seems like it's more like go by yourself type. Yeah. Survive, well, not survivalist, but like self-discovery type narratives seem more popular now. Or like go into nature in the extreme, like climb a mountain or go yeah. to the bottom of the ocean, whatever. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I'm I like I said. I mean, this was in the seventies. Raymond Carver was writing in the eighties mostly. Um, I mean, without a paddle was two thousand four, <laughs> but even even it feels like kind of out of date. Yeah, it, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it made two thousand four feel so long ago to me. Yeah, uh, it's just ridiculous. And the fact that like Seth Green's character has a satellite phone and you can call from anywhere. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh man, um, it seems like the hillbilly you know, stereotype in both of these movies is kind of crucial in some, to both of these movies. It's like, if, if, you know, let's just say, um, deliverance is this sort of, uh, argument for progress and without a paddle is, uh, you know, conforms to this trope of rejuvenation through nature, but ultimately as a bolster of the status quo, your normal everyday life. It seems like you have to have this association of nature with like backwoods, hillbilly, violence, uh, you know, lack of education, that sort of thing uh, for, for those projects of, you know, oh, progress is good and your normal life is good. Um, it seems like those messages are dependent upon nature being associated with these like ignorant, you know, evil people. Yeah, It's almost like going back to the, the super old trope in American, uh, you know, fiction of the woods as like the place where the evil is <laughs> the the woods yeah. are, are wicked. And that's where you go. If you like, you go in there, you run into the devil, that sort of stuff. Um, and it's almost like, that was softened up a little bit, but now it's just like, it's the home of crazy killer hillbillies. And that's the kind of new scary thing. It's no longer spirits. It's, you know, the uneducated (laughs) that those are the people, the unwashed masses are the true horror. Um, it, man, we should have paired, we should have made it a triple feature and done uh, antichrist by Lars von Trier. Uh, where they, where they say, uh, uh, nature is Satan's church. (laughs) Yeah. The earth is evil. We don't don't have to agree for it. No Uh, one will mess it. So yeah, this, the idea of, of evil comes from nature and, and so civil, well, it's, it's that paired with the, the twin idea of civilization is not only anti-nature, but because it is anti-nature, it is the antithesis of nature. It is also good. Therefore, it's the it's the solution to the evil of nature. Yeah, 
Um, which is, I mean, that's kind of the thing at the end of, of deliverance where, uh, Ned Beatty's character, I can't remember his name, Bobby, uh, is just like ready to go back and pretend that it never happened. Right. Uh, it, which immediately is his reaction of he's just been raped by this guy and they've killed him and they're trying to decide what to do. And he's like, I don't want this getting out. We need to bury this guy and, and get out of here. Um, and at the end of the film, they have that moment, him and Ed, where Ed's in the car and he's standing outside and he's like, well, I guess we'll go back to the city now. I probably won't see you for a while. Yeah. And that's just kind of where it ends up. Yeah. And that, so, so Bobby trying to conceal that event and then the rest of the group trying to conceal the murder or the whatever you want to call it, defense killing. I don't know how you perceive it, but um, it, it's kind of what, what I was getting at earlier when I talk about the damming of the river as not so much a physical nature being dominated, but like human nature, like, like a metaphor for human nature being um, paved over and, and, sealed off and moved on from um yeah because it's definitely and i, I kind of noticed this early on in the film is the whole sort of through line of the the river being dammed and, and creating this lake and covering over all this this land is is not very important like it, it's it, it's the drive that gets them out there it's the what sets the plot in motion but then once it's in motion, the, the important storyline becomes the killer hillbillies. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing that takes over. And it, that's just, it's strange to me because I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff to examine with the whole idea of it being damned and this place being covered over. But instead where it goes is sort of a Lars von Trier. It's good that this is happening because we need to cover up all of this evil <laughs> that's been done out here. Um, and that's what they go to immediately. Like after uh, Lewis kills the guy, he's like, oh, we'll bury him. And then it'll, you know, they'll flood all this and it'll be like it never happened. Uh, we'll just cover everything up like water. Right. We'll just wash it all away. That's why he says. He's like, it'll be a hundred hundreds of feet deep and no one will ever find it. Um, yeah. And so instead, it, instead of being what it is in the voiceover at the beginning, which is this kind of like sin against nature, you know, it's raping the land. Like he says, all that sort of stuff. It becomes like a cleansing agent, which is a strange, yeah. a strange kind of twist that it, or not even a twist, but a strange kind of slight turn in the, the plot that happens. It's a, it's a baptism. Yeah, pretty much. And it, it Interestingly enough, this isn't mentioned because, you know, the constraints of the film, but in the novel, Ed ends up moving out of the city and gets a cabin on, I don't, I don't know if it's just a lake or if it's that specific lake that's created. And so he lives in this like cabin near the lake and Lewis gets an, gets a cabin kind of nearby and they just live out there now. Hmm. So it's, I don't know, it's an interesting kind of thing. And, and the idea, just the on a very kind of elementary level of a river versus a lake, kind of symbolically, where a river is like moving and there's energy and it's sort of, you know, chaotic and a, and a lake is placid and <laughs> lake placid. 
and it's uh, um you know it's non-moving and it it's it's very you know deep and it covers all these things it's it's an interesting kind of uh, contrast yeah and and maybe the most important thing about the lakes that they're talking about in deliverance is that they are controllable yeah they're man-made you know man-made and you know oh like you said for recreation mm-hmm. um, for house and it, it, it kind of goes back to we were talking about a couple weeks ago we were talking about uh Jensi's idea that she's working on for her dissertation about pseudo nature mm-hmm. and and these idea of the idea of like a park being um you know, these suggestions of nature, like we want the kind of aesthetic appeal of nature without the, uh, uh, we want the nature, but not the red and tooth and claw mm-hmm. part. Um, and, and that's, I really thought about that in terms of, uh, <clears throat> without a paddle, because first of all, the sets are just so artificial. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, when he, f- I guess he falls out of the treehouse early in the movie and it's looks like straight astroturf that he falls onto. Um, anyway, that whole idea of like rejuvenation, <clears throat> I was thinking about that because I was reading, uh, just kind of randomly reading sister Carrie by Dreiser. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just like picked it up and, uh, there's a part where, uh, this character's like falling in love with, with sister Carrie. And, um, and after he's sort of falling in love, fallen in love, he, he just decides to go sit in a park and he's sort of just having these romantic thoughts. And you can, you can see like, uh, you can really see that Dreiser wants you to see that there is some sort of connection between this imitation of nature and his new love affair. And so it's, int- I don't really have anywhere to go with that other than that. <laughs> it's an interesting than, contrast. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, it's interesting. And without a paddle that this, uh, retreat to nature or this adventure in nature is really, at least for two of the characters is about like solving their romantic problems. Yeah. And yeah, cause you know, Matthew Lillard's having fallen out with his longtime girlfriend, Seth Green's kind of cowardly in love and can't ask anyone out. And then I guess right. Dak Shepard is just like getting laid double time. Yeah. Um, so he, I, I just, the fact that his treasured item in the time capsule was a condom. <laughs> um, and that's like played to great effect. And he tells the story that that was another kind of funny thing where he's like, yeah, I stole this from my dad. And then he punched me in the head. <laughs> um, what a great memory. Um, but yeah, this idea of like artificial, artificial nature, like faux nature, almost, um, it kind of makes me think of, I had a discussion, I brought this up in class once and, and some of them kind of got what I was saying and the other ones just didn't give a shit. But I was talking about nature, the same kind of idea of nature being very curated. And so when you experience it, unless you're like, well, depending on how you experience it, but I was talking specifically about parks, like state parks, 
which we've talked mm-hmm. about before. And uh, talking about something like uh, you, you and I went to Cloudland Canyon in Georgia this past summer, uh, which was a beautiful experience in this state park. Um, I would recommend people visit there if you don't have to drive very far to get there. Yeah, um, it's a nice spot. But, the, you know, if you remember the the overlooks that we went to where you get these like stunning panoramic views of this canyon uh, are very kind of curated and, you know, the rocks all cut and it's very kind of organized and there's a nice railing and they have the viewers that you can put a quarter in and there's steps that have been built in and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's and it's just as much uh, for taking pictures of yourself as it is for looking at. Yeah, and most people will like you know run down there, look for a second, snap a selfie, take a few more pictures, and then leave. Uh, and that's like the that's kind of what I was trying to explain to them. Like, yeah, you're in a natural space, but everywhere it's curated so that you see it kind of in certain ways and that you experience it in certain ways. Um, and it's it, yeah. that to me is kind of it, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but it is a thing that I think is worth noticing. Yeah, it's like it doesn't even matter how to what degree nature is curated. This is going to sound like <laughs> like rust coal. If your if your <laughs> mind is curated <laughs> uh, already, it doesn't matter how to what degree uh, nature is curated because you are sort of predisposed to compartmentalize it and fit it into your, you know, uh, just another aspect of your life. I'm not even sure, you know, it's hard to really say nature exists in the way people say it exists. Because what they really mean is they're really trying to reinforce the dichotomy of nature and culture, which, of course, is false. Uh, And it's just a sort of convenient semantic turn to make it possible to talk about things. But is it is it Donna Haraway who like doesn't say nature or culture? She says nature cultures. Yeah, I think it's Donna Haraway. She she coins a lot of slashes, she does a and lot portmanteaus of and stuff like that. But it's yeah, it's funny to me that if you go to any state park, pretty much, uh, the first question you have to ask and answer is where do I park, <laughs> and, and that alone is just like funny to me. Um, Cause that it makes me it makes me think of uh, uh, white noise by Don DeLillo and the the most photographed barn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, you're talking about those overviews in Cloudland Canyon. It's like no one you can't even really see it. Yeah, no one sees the canyon. Um, yeah. Doesn't really exist. But I guess trying to swing back around to the movies. Um, yeah, I don't really like I. I watched Deliverance and I thought about it and there's a lot going on there, but like you're saying, I, I can't tell sort of what the takeaway is supposed to be. If there is any sort of big takeaway. Yeah. It, it's hard to sort of see cause it's definitely, it, it's a shame. I'll say that most people just know it as like crazy hillbilly movie. And some people even think about it as like a horror movie. Uh, or, you know, a, a survival film and that sort, which I, I, it is, I guess, but it, 
they only know that part of the story that it's about that like Ned Beatty gets raped and they have to run from these crazy hillbillies. Uh, but the whole point of the the trip, which is that this dam is being built and it's a sort of symbolic kind of flooding of of the past or flooding of lesser life forms or how, whatever you how you could could explain it that kind of gets lost and i feel like most people don't even know that that's part of the film that that's a point in the plot mm-hmm. unless you know they're familiar with the film and have seen it i feel like if you just know it, it, the way it's come down through popular culture is that's the movie about the crazy hillbillies where ned Beatty gets assaulted yeah and it's it's really just about the spectacle of that it's like oh man that's fucked up yeah um and there's no and, and, that, and that's all it is yeah uh, it is it, uh, i think it's got uh, has to be meaningful the title you know deliverance uh, i think suggests a a bigger you know more uh more meaningful interpretation to be you know set free i guess deliverance yeah. delivered from some sort of captivity or something like that I, I really the more i think about it the more it feels uh, like a a case for progress and and that this dam that they oppose in the beginning it, it's saying that those are romantic idealist notions because um, yeah, only and, only really lewis opposes it and he's kind of proven to be a charlatan uh in in some ways or at least he's sort of like symbolically neutered and taken out of the the fight yeah but they but the, yeah they don't actively oppose it but they are trying to uh they do think that this nature is worth, you know, entertaining and, and being just, you know, to be there and see it and enjoy it. And this film seems to say nature is not something to enjoy <laughs> made only if we cultivate it to fit our needs. Can it even, you know, only then can it maybe be enjoyed. Yeah, and the, it's kind of like the scene when they they go and they find the guys to drive their cars uh, to the point where they're canoeing to. Uh, the scene that has my favorite line, which is Burt Reynolds going, I said 50 my ass. Uh, <laughs> but they, in that scene, he, he's telling them, uh, we need somebody to drive these cars because we're going to go on this canoeing trip. And the guy's like, what the hell do you want to do on do you want to do with that river like why do you want to go the, he makes it sound as if it's like you know a fool's only a fool would go on a canoeing trip on that river and like you'll probably die and, and that sort of stuff um which is kind of interesting cuz it's like even the locals there treat the river as if it's i don't know like inherently dangerous somehow mm-hmm. or like something not that like you're saying it's not to be enjoyed it's like something to be feared and like ignored i guess in a kind of way but i mean and they're right uh i mean according to the logic of the film the people who live there understand why you should be afraid 
it's similar to in without a paddle there's like a native american guy yeah remember who's like telling him that the river is too dangerous uh, and they just ignore him or dax shepherd's character ignores him and yeah so he's the the wise the wise indian um <laughs> problematic you know. yeah. yeah um that's the they christen the boat he's like thanks for breaking glass or, or my children play <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't i don't really know i'm not sure um i'd hate to think uh well like i do that uh deliverance is a kind of rebuttal to the environmentalism you know just beginning in the 70s and late 60s what year was the novel written do you know do you know 1970 okay so pretty you know pretty quick uh book to film adaptation Mm -hmm. i think it helped that it was the same guy that james dickey did both probably sped it up a little bit yeah but i think where the film and I don't know even know if this is the case. I feel like where the film and the novel both kind of focused most of their energy was this idea of kind of what does it mean to be a man in this age of, you know, hyper urbanization and, and, you know, having your white collar job where you just sit in front of a desk, you sit in a desk for, you know, 10 hours a day or whatever. Like, how do you maintain this kind of primal masculinity? Is it even productive to try to maintain it do we lose anything if it kind of perishes that sort of stuff and it kind of comes through in in the film somewhat but then all this other stuff just like deeply complicates it and and covers over it in in a lot of ways so that ends up being just one of many of the messages that you get from it yeah and and uh you talking about those themes reminded me at some point we need to do fight club i think um yeah that's a that would be fine all those issues are are part of that but there's also there's also more more going on i think uh i think in fight club that would yield a a decent conversation for this podcast and the fact that it's become kind of sort of a meme because it's such a widely known film Mm-hmm. And it's been, in my opinion, misinterpreted a lot um, in a lot of different ways. And, and the fact that it's a deeply anti-capitalist piece of, you know, art, <laughs> I, I think gets lost a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's the same way, you know, coincidentally both starring edward norton it's the same way american history x sometimes gets talked about as just like you know like it has uh, particularly fucked up violent scenes in it yeah and so people watch it for the the violent spectacle and it's like that is a movie about race relations in america that is like extremely meaningful and and worth thinking about and you're watching it you know, to watch some like fucked up scene. Um, but yeah, I I think you're definitely right. Fight club is even more victim to that. It's, it's become this sort of brand name movie. And, uh, and I mean, it's about destroying credit card companies. (laughs) Yeah. There's a whole, there's an extended 
kind of takedown of IKEA. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, there's a lot going on. The the whole idea that they're and they you know it's made explicit in the film, so it's not like I'm cracking the code here, but they're they're taking the fat sucked out of rich ladies and turning it into soap and selling it back to them. That that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, all that to say that the they're those masculine the or the is, issues of masculinity only hinted at in deliverance are very much present, uh, like consciously present in fight club. And we should get to that at some point. Yeah. They're, they're major, major points in that film. Whereas, you know, like you're saying, deliverance only kind of touches, or at least the film only kind of touches on them. Um, yeah. Just, just the tip in <laughs> deliverance. God. <laughs> uh, now I was going to make a, a joke about Ned Beatty, but I feel like that'd be, <laughs> that'd be in poor taste. Um, but yeah, you do get those kinds of contrasts where it's obviously Lewis is sort of meant to be the kind of alpha male, like stereotypical alpha male kind of character. And then Bobby, uh, Ned Beatty's character is meant to be like the, the sort of the beta bitch. Yeah. Like the, the city slicker kind of like too soft. He complains about his bug bites and that sort of stuff. Um, he even says, you know, I'm not. I forget what he says. He's like, I'm a ad man or whatever, or insurance man. I'm an insurance man. Like, I'm not meant to do this. And he, you know, they get in the boat on the second day and he's talking to, to Ed and he's like, just don't yell, don't holler at me. I'm not used to being hollered at. Yeah. The and, new, the new sensitive, sensitive man. Yeah. And it's like kind of a simplistic view in, of, of nature and the world in general that because he is so kind of openly kind of soft quote unquote that when the the mountain men find them he, they just automatically go to assaulting him like he's kind of it's it sort of seems to suggest that he brought it upon himself which is kind of strange yeah problematic in a lot of ways <laughs> uh. it's it's strange how abrupt that transition is to like they just get out of the boat they see these guys. I'm pretty sure the conversation starts with Ned Beatty saying, how goes it? You know, in just very informal, casual way. And then like two minutes later, the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> that, that too is also strange of, of, uh, that, that too is also, that's a great construction I just put together. Uh, but, but that's also strange. And it goes back to what I was thinking about of, how it it kind of becomes the you know the the mountain people become kind of stereotypical because those guys go from zero to a hundred and twenty super fast right yeah and it's immediately like as soon as they step off the boat those guys are like oh we're gonna we're gonna fuck these guys up we're gonna do some some things to them and it, it's not the only motivation is just like the fact that these guys are just evil or like some really deeply ingrained country versus city kind of dichotomy. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't, I don't know. And that's, and that's been, um, I I believe has been a a criticism kind of over the years with even, I read that Burt Reynolds thought it was the best movie he had ever been in, but he thought that that scene was, was a bit much, Hmm. um, you know, I would agree. It's pretty, it just doesn't seem to, it doesn't feel earned, you know, a scene like that needs to feel earned Yeah. or else it's kind of gratuitous. 
Yeah. Um, and the best movie Burt Reynolds has ever been in is definitely Boogie Nights. Hell yeah. But he, he like <laughs> disavowed it right later on. Is it, is that right? He, he was uh, like, oh, yeah, man. there's, there's, they always talk about some sort of controversy with him, but it's like, I don't care what Burt Reynolds thinks of it. It's like obvious. That's the best movie he's ever been in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like it, there's no way to shoehorn it into the podcast, but I would like to, <laughs> maybe I'll just watch Boogie Nights again. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, that whole scene is just sort of, it's disorienting and I don't know if it's necessarily in a good way. I still think deliverance is, you know, a fine film. It's got a lot of interesting themes and I don't know. It just kind of, this is going to sound stupid, but it kind of like made me feel a way that I didn't expect it to make me feel. And it's kind of like a, like a lot of those seventies movies, it's kind of like a slow burn where things take a long time to unfold. And there's a lot of like extended scenes that, that are kind of, I don't know, just thinking like the scenes of them having these conversations that are kind of drawn out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of in some spots it's shot kind of naturalistically. Like when they first get in the canoe, it's kind of like, looks like just some dudes getting in canoes and going down the river. It doesn't look like a film. Um, so it, it's just, I don't know. It, it was not what I, cause I, you know, I'd never seen it before. So it, it wasn't kind of what I expected. But at the same time, when it came to that famous scene, it was exactly what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was pleasantly surprised, honestly, with the watchability of of Deliverance. Like I said, I had seen it when I was younger. And I want to say, like, my parents t- told me to watch it after I had seen Without a Paddle. I think they, like, wanted me to get all the references and without a paddle so oh, i mean if you haven't seen deliverance you don't you don't get the you know the tropes or the jokes or whatever so uh my parents told me to watch deliverance well i mean yeah they were right it's it's worth seeing i mean it's definitely it's definitely one of those films that everyone should see at some point uh and not even necessarily because it's so great but because it is has been so influential and has had this impact like down to today mm-hmm. but like we we're saying if you there's always that joke and like every i would wager like almost every sitcom or animated show or whatever has a scene where they go into the woods and they hear the banjo music or somebody mm-hmm. says something about banjo music or right. somebody says you got a pretty mouth that that sort of thing yeah um so it's definitely one of those films that has sort of seeped out into the wider culture in a major way. Yeah. And it's kind of strange that it did. And it's really should maybe should be no surprise that the larger themes like you were talking about, uh, have gotten kind of lost, uh, because that one scene is just such a spectacle and, you know, dis disorienting and, and hard to watch. Um, it, it's really no surprise that that's kind of what people latch on to. Um, especially because, you know, some, like we're saying, some of the other themes are kind of hard to, kind of hard to figure out. Yeah. Whereas like something like, like I said earlier, American history X, <laughs> there's no, like, there's no, uh, ambiguity 
it's weird that people pick out one or two violent scenes and focus on them in American History X. It's not that weird that they do that for deliverance. And I'm kind of, you know, if I had been a, a thorough researcher, I would have gone and looked at reviews from, you know, 72 and seen kind mm-hmm. of because, you know, this film was well received and it was nominated for Best Picture and all this stuff. It'd be interesting to see what people thought of it and, and more importantly, kind of what drew them to it. Because I'm not sure if it was kind of a like, oh, this film's so shocking, you'll never believe what happens. Or was it kind of this theme of like man versus nature sort of thing, that you know, nature versus society? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see kind of what the what the big draw for it was. We should watch the preview because the preview, you know, that's created when the movie comes out will usually give you a pretty good clue to like what they're going for yeah. or like what the what the psychology is and in, in terms of its uh, audience. A big part of it was probably like Burt Reynolds in a like, you know, tight fitting vest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll do that later on. <laughs> Watch the trailer and be like, what was the selling point for this? Right. Probably like the survivalist, like, you know, on the Just river with the adventure. Yeah. It made me think of that. Did you ever see that movie, The River Wild with uh, Kevin Bacon and Meryl Streep? Yeah. Don't they? They're like David Strathern and Joseph Mazzello. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who those people are. But uh, is that David Strathern? Like- uh, good night and good luck or good night. Good luck. I don't know. If I saw a picture of him, I might recognize him. You would definitely recognize him. And Joseph Mazzello is the kid from uh, Jurassic Park. Ah, okay. And The Cure. Sure. Uh, But is that the film where they like her family's taken hostage? Yeah. And they're on Kevin Bacon. And they're on a white water raft. I remember that movie from when I was a kid. That was one of those like my mom rented it on a Friday night and we watched it. Yep. Yeah, that was actually, uh, I, I don't want to say it was good because I thought Without a Paddle was good when I watched it when I was a kid. So, <laughs> But I have good memories of the River Wild. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? And the other great river movies, like A River Runs Through It, that's a good one. Uh, Mystic River. Mystic River, that's a good river movie. Um, Stand By Me with River Phoenix. Uh, yeah. Any more river movies? Um, no, Not no other movies ever. Hmm. No, nothing. Oh, a uh, Maverick on a river boat. <laughs> That's a good one. I like Maverick. I haven't seen Maverick yeah. in many years, but I feel like I would still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. My brother texted me just like last year at some point. He was like, I just bought Maverick on Blu-ray and it still fucking rules. Yeah, I got the Criterion of Maverick. Uh, uh, I can imagine the Criterion cover is just him holding up the Ace of Spades from the yeah. end. I wish we lived in that world where, where Maverick got <laughs> Maverick a Criterion release. Man, I uh, I went to, went to Barnes & Noble for the for the criterion sale the other day that you alerted me to. I just couldn't pull the trigger on anything. 
I was I was debating between uh, the New World mm. and Itumama uh, Tambien, which has a big badass. Where both of them have a big badass edition now, but I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna save up and get the. Uh, I was telling you about that uh, Polish director whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, Decalogue. He's got these 10 films and I watched this movie the other night called a short film about love and it was just like mesmerizing. It was incredible. Um, so if you're out there, look for the Polish director. I, he's a famous Polish. He's, he did the, the three colors trilogy, blue, white, and red, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I can't remember. I can't remember his name. You should buy the, uh, the new Criterion Godzilla releases that uh, yeah I keep look seeing like little ads for that, but I have just no interest in that at all for some reason. Yeah, me neither, but I think the packaging is amazing. Yeah, I think I, I saw an ad saying they reduced the price. So uh, I just yeah I just I don't know why I'm not into that. I did watch. Uh, we're kind of getting off topic. I watched that uh, Paul Schrader. Uh, uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I have not. I'm kind of. I'm if, a little familiar with the story, but if like we do, story. if we do First Reformed again, <laughs> uh, you need to Second watch that Reformed. movie before we do it. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, I I should probably just watch it anyway because I imagine it's it's very beautiful and and intriguing. Yeah, it is. There's some like real sort of Brechtian stuff going on where there's like stage adaptations of his novels uh, within the film Mm. and you, and you see how they, how his fiction is like a reflection of his real life. And, and you're sort of seeing the, his real life juxtaposed with his fiction. It's, it's very, very cool. Yeah. So it's also also Philip Glass uh, scored it, and it was produced by the same company that did the Kianiskatsi uh, 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 and Pawakatsi. Oh, okay. Right at the same right at the same time, so it's like George Lucas and uh, uh, who else was it? I, it wasn't Spielberg. No, uh, oh, uh, Coppola, Francis Ford. Coppola. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I, I wish I wish they would. Uh, I wish like big name directors, like current sort of more like the next generation after Spielberg and all those guys are like a current generation would collaborate on some sort of new Koya Nascazzi type film. Uh, you know, like you get P.T. Anderson like producing some like crazy three hour long documentary about like people using their phones or whatever. And I would sit and watch every moment with bated breath. <laughs> Have you seen his new, uh, uh, Netflix thing he did with Tom York? I think it's called anima. No, I, I've been meaning to watch that for a long time and just haven't, haven't got around to it. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's captivating, but that's about it. <laughs> That's about it. So, okay. So to, I guess, get back to the films and and like maybe put like a final stamp on them. 
So, you know, without a paddle, just kind of included sort of on a whim and to make that sort of comparison. Um, but like with a lot of kind of, you know, thrown off comedies like this from the early 2000s or from the 90s, there's not a whole lot of there there. And so yeah. it like the contradictions it has are not like even the contradictions you can find within it aren't especially interesting. Um, the fact that it's kind of leading you to this, this uh, re enforcement of your, of the status quo more or less like the, the reinforcement of whatever life you're living in this hyper constructed urban environment you live in. Like that's, that's good and you should just go back to that and do that really well and then you'll be happy and that sort of right. stuff. Right. So you can't you can't really critique without a paddle as a specific, you know, particular movie. You have to critique the wider industry that churns out these movies as as like sort of rose-colored mirrors, you know, like m- the, the movies that are just trying to bolster are what we call normal now. Yeah. Um, so like I said, you can't, you can't say, Oh, without a paddle is bad because it's doing exactly what it wants to do. It, I mean, the jokes aren't funny, but uh, other than that, it's doing exactly what it wants to do. You have to, you have to aim your critique at, at just the whole sort of paradigm that thinks it's okay and good and right to churn out these, you know, movie after movie that are just telling us the world as it is, is right and good. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's just not a whole lot going on that's worth dwelling on in, in without a paddle. Uh, and then with deliverance, like you, like we were saying, there's a lot going on there, but it, it's kind of muddled somewhat. And I think, you know, I was saying that, the, the whole damn storyline gets overtaken by this killer hillbilly storyline, but there's also like the interpersonal dynamics among the men. There's the river, there's the authorities at the end of like the sheriff letting them go and being like, I just want this town to die quietly. I want you to just go on and never come back. And I don't want to worry about it anymore anymore. There, there's a lot of like overlapping stuff going on. And I don't know, like it, that kind of, creates a little bit of dissonance for me and I'm not sure which of those things is worth most of my attention. And I don't yeah. know if that's like a strength of the film or a weakness of the film, or if it's just like, I'm stupid. Like, I don't, I don't know which of those <laughs> yeah. things it is. I'm, I'm right there with you. I feel the exact same way. It's like, I don't know if it's my failings as a, you know, my failings of perception as a viewer or if the movie is kind of confused about what it's trying to say. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like, if, if someone was to ask me, what is deliverance's message? Like, what is it trying to tell you? I'd be like, I'm not entirely sure. I I think like a lot of films, it's telling you more than one thing, but I'm not sure. It seems like it thinks it's telling us a sort of inherent truth, but, when when I hear it, I just hear like a bunch of, you know, a cacophony of, of things going on. Yeah. Uh, but again, maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. it's like somebody like shouting right now, like, it's about this thing. <laughs> um, it's clearly about the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, you fucking, it's about the moon landing. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, that'd be a, a cool like room two. I can't. I can never remember the name of the room. Two three seven. Two three seven. But about deliverance. <laughs> yeah. Cooper um, like ghost directed it. Um, I will say like it, an interesting thing that we haven't mentioned yet that I think we should talk about for at least a second is when, uh, shit, I can't remember the name of the character. Let me check my cheat sheet real fast. Uh, it's Ronnie Cox's character when Drew falls off the the uh, canoe, mm-hmm. and it, it seemingly seemingly he's like committing suicide. Almost, it's kind of implied, I think, or or yeah. you can read it that way, where he just stops paddling, and then it's almost like he just like lets himself fall over. Um, that was that's a, a weird kind of. I don't know. It's like a weird choice to make. And it kind of leads you to think, well, why would this happen when he was on board with covering up the, the you know, uh, drew killing the, the mountain man and burying him. And so maybe it's like, he feels guilty now, or he's like, he, I don't see. I thought he was the one that wasn't on board with it. Really? Oh, maybe I'm just in. Oh no. Yeah, you're right. It was, it was everybody else kind of eventually. But, got on but board nevertheless, with. he had to go along with it. Yeah, and so he's kind of forced to. So maybe that. Never mind. That makes more sense now. <laughs> in my head, I had it all twisted that he was like, maybe it was just like flooding over him. Like, oh my god, what have I done? But still, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's almost like his character saying, like, this is not a world I want to live in anymore. Yeah, like this is yeah. Things are all topsy turvy, and everyone's at each other's throats. And this is nature red and tooth and claw. So I'm going to let the river take me. But then they're they're convinced for a while that he's been shot because Lewis right Lewis keeps like, screaming oh, he he's been shot. But then when they find him, they don't really see any evidence of that, right? Yeah. But then they have to cover up his body too because, as Ed says, like if he's been shot, people will find out and then they'll know we're lying and we'll know something happened. Um, so it kind of becomes like a weird, messy cover up movie of like we have to cover our tracks and put everything in the river um so yeah that that scene was kind of interesting of him just like giving up just sort of falling into the river um a, a good sort of i don't know like he because he's throughout the film he's sort of the one that is kind of on the outside of this weird dynamic between the other three where Ed kind of looks up to Lewis and Lewis is picking on Bobby because he thinks he's weak and Bobby's telling Ed, like, I can't take this guy. And then, you know, the other guy's just kind of on the outside. Ronnie Cox's character is just on the outside, sort of like playing guitar, hanging out, being kind of just a chill guy um, until this terrible you know thing happens and Lewis kills this guy. And then that's where he kind of like, that's what breaks through to him. Right, and and when they bury Drew, they don't really have much to say. And Ned Beatty's character says, I, I didn't know him, you know. And so Ed has to, you know, come up with some decent things to say in memoriam. Yeah, it's very, it's all very strange. It's like he's disposable, more or less. Like he's the one that's disposable. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I got a lot of questions about this one still, but uh, ultimately it doesn't matter because neither does anything else. It doesn't matter. None of this matters. Whatever. That's, yeah, fuck it. Whatever. Um, 
Yeah, so I, you know, I guess that's pretty much it. I don't really have anything else to add. No, um, you know, it's definitely like I see the I see why people think of Deliverance as being a sort of great film, but it's not. You know, it didn't blow me away or anything. Yeah, me neither. And that's my hard hitting analysis. <laughs> it's it's good, but it didn't blow me away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, before we before we go, I need to tell a a short story. Um, the gift of the man. I told Jensi. Oh, Henry. <laughs> yeah, I told Jensi that I was going to definitely tell this story on the podcast. Uh, it has nothing to do with anything. We were uh, at Barnes and Noble for the Criterion sale. And in the section, not part of the Criterion section, we, we spotted a movie. Maybe you've heard of it called Waterworld. Yeah. And uh, I asked Jensi if she'd seen it. And she said, is that the one? It's like based on a book, but it's like in the book, it's rabbits. <laughs> and I was like, please tell me you just confused Watership Down with Waterworld. And not only that, implied that in the adaptation, they changed the rabbits to human beings. <laughs> That's awesome. You, I, you should have just been like, yes. <laughs> That's you, exactly yep. what that is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kevin Costner uh, is a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I thought you were going to, like, when you were telling the story in my head, I was imagining the Criterion Collection for Waterworld. Um, there is, a, I, I think there is a Criterion for the cartoon adaptation of Watership Down. Yeah, which uh, I've never seen it, but it, I know that it's, like, considered a classic. Yeah, that's uh, what they're watching in uh, Donnie Darko, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to read that book when I was like in middle school or something. It just was, I didn't find it super interesting. Yeah, I never read it. Uh, well, you yeah, have fuck books. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that note, speaking of yeah, speaking of <laughs> fuck books. Um, so next week we're gonna deviate and do something a little bit different. So instead of a film, we're going to be talking about a book. We've been sort of hinting and and talking about this for a while, but we're going to be doing uh anthropo sentences part of our ever-growing uh, branding empire and we're going to be talking <laughs> about uh again a book that we've mentioned trademark before. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh gun island by amitav ghosh which was published earlier this year um so yeah we're going to have a little, a little book club it's gonna be great yeah um so you know like per usual we'll bring in you know other ideas other thinkers uh stories about Barnes and Noble trips, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, but in this case, we'll be talking about, uh, words on a page that don't move. Yeah. So you know, they don't move, but they do move you. Yes. Uh, it was, twas I that was moved. So we'll be doing that next week. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be interesting. Um, Will's the only other person I know that's read this book. So, it's be yeah. nice to have somebody to talk to about it. If if there are uh, listeners out there who follow along weekly, you can read this book really easily in a week. Um, yeah. Like it is, you could order it right now and get it one day delivered from the the man evil 
evil or you know you could go to it's it's pretty widely distributed you could probably go to like barnes well you can't go to books a million because those suck but you could probably go to like barnes and noble maybe and get it i don't think they did they didn't have barn at at uh barnes noble here they didn't have it and they i was looking for the overstory the other day at barnes and noble and it took me a while but i finally found it and i was like if they don't have this which won the most recent pulitzer uh like what the fuck is this bookstore for if they don't have it but they did they just had the uh the new uh paperback of it though okay cool i know that uh the new the new independent bookstore in auburn just opened uh nice. auburn oil company books I, I recommend it to anyone in town um and they had it which i thought was nice and encouraging cool <laughs> i was like oh there it is <laughs> then i moved moved on about my day um so yeah well and you moved over to the jody picolt section i went and got my david baldacci fix uh so yeah that that's 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 what we'll be doing next week talking about gun island on top of gosh and then we'll go back to movies yeah all right so um yeah i said 50 my ass Uh, I can't think of any good obscure quotes from Deliverance or Without a Paddle to go out on. Uh, Yeah, the end. You won. (laughs) Hell yeah.